With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales. So uh, again, with just an amazing amount of, of energy being moved into the Web3 space, and when the bull market kind of took its, its little tumble and ended, and, and whether we're in a bear or a winter, I don't really know. It's, it's a little too early to tell. But the most important thing that's happened is that we haven't lost touch. We haven't lost base with, with the builders. And we're seeing kind of a new and innovative rush to come and say, okay, we understood where the last bull run was. And now we're seeing a lot of the people that were already ingrained in that kind of ecosystems uh, really come in and infill and say, here's where we missed out on the last run. Here's the ways that we can build better and also starting to predict where the next bull run is going to be in the future. Um, irregardless of if you're you know long or short on Bitcoin, um, the builders don't really worry about that. They know blockchain is, is the future. Uh, they understand that you know met, things like metaverse, uh, whatever it's going to be called in the future, um, will be a mixture of AR, VR, and blockchain technologies. And I think it's a really cool time that we get to talk here with James uh, from Shapes Immersive about kind of their vision of what this is going to look like in the future, because you guys have been doing this for a while already, correct, James? Yeah, absolutely. Shape Immersive has been focused on metaverse technologies for about five years now. That's, and, and that's awesome. So let's just go back. Um, you know, what kind of first got you interested in, in blockchain technologies as well as kind of AR, VR, uh, you know, the technology behind that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I went to university for economics and uh, as a digital native, somebody that was building apps at the moment, uh, I was sitting in econ classes thinking, how are we really going to create the future economies if we're using paper and um, central bank forecasts that are going to be 60 days old? And so it was very, very clear to me, um, you know, 2006, 2007, that digital currencies were going to change the way that uh, humans interact and economies uh, operate. So I was, I was looking for uh, Bitcoin and, and Ethereum and, and blockchain technologies and uh, was fortunate to come across the Satoshi White Paper shortly after it was published. Um, I think I was hanging around in Reddit um, in some strange forum um, that was thinking about the future of economies and um, I got a chance to, to dive deep into blockchain. So that was my introduction to uh, blockchain technologies and crypto. Um, and it's, you know, that moment, right? It, your mind starts to imagine what the future can look like, what organizations will uh, feel like and be structured, um, given that we're going to have a very different way of interacting as individuals and as uh, communities and governments. So uh, that was that was definitely an impactful moment. And I would say did, that- Did you buy Did you buy any Bitcoin after you read it? No, I didn't. And it was it was really difficult back then. Right. Um, oh, oh, I, I, I can tell you, I know. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was, it was a couple years later where I finally got a chance to get in. You know, probably about the 2012, 2013 area. But um, you know, it, it was, it was fascinating to me, and I knew that it was an experiment. We all were just watching, uh, trying to yep. figure out: is this going to be something that 
you know, primarily is, get, is it going to get hacked, right? You know, is it something that is that is <laughs> native to the internet? Everything on the internet gets hacked. Uh, there's money there, so there's greater incentives to hack it. Um, and so I I really just decided to pay attention for as long as I possibly could, uh, knowing that if and when the technology matured, that blockchain was ready for uh, you know public distribution, it was going to change our lives. So I've been doing what I can to stay connected and uh, when there were opportunities to start experimenting. So probably about, you know, 2016 is a place where I started to experiment with, you know, what can we play around uh, with Ethereum and, and smart contracts. It's also at that time where I was managing an innovation lab. Uh, we were focused on emerging technologies called Momentus. And there we were building, you know, for Verizon, we were building Verizon's mobile VR platform. Uh, and these were, you know, at a time where VR 360 viewers were not embedded into devices yet. So we were developing those from the ground up for some of the big telecoms like Verizon so that they could distribute 360 content. And so I had this really, really opportune moment where I'm sitting there and I'm babysitting blockchain experiments at the same time as augmented reality and virtual reality experiments. And, you know, with all emerging technologies, when are they ready for prime time? And, um, what I have learned in, in building emerging technologies for a variety of new ventures, as well as Fortune 500s for the better part of the past decade, is that the technology is going to come, and when it's ready, it's going to change everything around it. And so it makes sense to dip your toes in and, and to figure out you know, what the parameters of building with that technology are. So when it's ready for the public and, and um, you know, we've We've got not just the technology ready, but we've got the people layers ready, you know, to absorb and, and to integrate the technologies into the way that they operate. We're going to be able to build some businesses and make some money and change some lives. And so, um, that you know, it's, it's it's those angles. And I would say about 2016, where I really start to get my my fingers in deep, you know, to both the blockchain development as well as VR. Yeah, and I think that your timelines are absolutely for anyone that's been in the space a long time make make perfect sense for when there was even the ability to be bleeding edge. Um, I, I, you know, my first to make you feel a little bit better, uh, I I read that probably same article um, on on Bitcoin in early 2010, um, and I was playing a game Eve Online, which I'm sure is a, a VR guy you're familiar with, mm-hmm. and and bought a hundred bitcoins for twenty dollars because that was that wasn't the price of them. That was just what one of my uh, um, friends that was playing sold them to me for, and it was so hard to deal with. And it was also exactly as you said, it was a test. It was a theoretical thing, so there was no real value to them. It was just like, oh, cool, this is what it is. And then I threw away the computer because they they weren't worth anything, um, and and really didn't come back again until exactly as you guys said, until all of a sudden there's Ethereum and the possibility of smart contracts and like actually you know real value um, of being able to execute commands on on these chains. And so the idea that you were that early and and thinking about how do you combine AR and VR environments into blockchain, um, I I don't know anyone that's earlier than you guys. Yeah, I think it's unique. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm based in Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. And Vancouver is, you know, very important tech hub in North America, but it has the highest density of 3D skill sets of any tech hub in North America. So wow. there's, there's, there's a much greater availability of AR VR professionals and opportunities because, uh, you know, that's where the 3D skill sets are, right? Um, and when, when I look at uh, smart contracts and, hey, what can we do with them in NFTs, 
I was hanging out with the CryptoKitties team talking about virtual reality before they invented CryptoKitties, before they started to write the ERC-721 standard. And so I was having VR conversations with them. And, and so Vancouver has been a hotbed for some of this. And we think of the CryptoKitties team invented the ERC-721 in many ways, has invented the NFT that we're using today, and then would Correct. go on to create Top Shot and Dapper Labs, which is the reason why I think NFTs have entered into any kind of cultural acceptance. Uh, and then on top of that, they built, you know, the flow blockchain. And so we've got, um, you know, there's this hotbed of emerging technologies coming out of Vancouver. And I, I've been sitting there, you know, swimming around emerging technologies while these things were happening. So very, very fortunate and just trying to take advantage of that good fortune. That's fabulous. I love it. So, so now here we are today. You know, years later, you've 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 built this company. Um, give us kind of the the elevator pitch of you know Shapes Immersive, um, and, and kind of uh, if you can also walk us through kind of the client engagement process. Uh, if Wells came to you and said, "Hey, we'd like to build a metaverse," what what does that look like as far as a, a path towards uh, launching? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm the CEO at Shape Immersive. I'm really, really lucky to be that um, because it's a fun place. It, it often has energy that I think would be akin to something like a Pixar or a Disney, right? There's just, you know, uh, unhinged creativity uh, on top of emerging technologies. And so we really have a lot of fun. The creative juices are there. I became CEO, uh, you know, probably uh, right as, as COVID was taking hold, Um I'm not a founder. The two founders, uh, Dan Berger and Alex Chuang, who are the co-presidents of the Vancouver VR Air Association, and they've been pivotal in building the global virtual reality community. And as a result, uh, connecting a lot of the metaverse leaders on the planet. And so I've been working with these guys for a number of years. Uh, I was watching Shape, was trying to do what I could to support from the sidelines. And when COVID hit, it was very, very clear to me that, okay, now, now is the time. We're ready to go for virtual worlds. I didn't know that NFTs were going to hit. You know, I was going to be part of the uh, Top Shot beta, but I had no idea that that things were going to hit in you know January 2021. That that's that's really where you know where you're going to see the rocket ship take off. So as COVID locked everybody inside, and I was very focused on building retail technologies, e-commerce, uh, back-end tech for for leading retail brands. Um, it 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 was it was this very interesting moment where you could see that their core KPIs were getting smashed. Right, retail KPIs were dollars per square foot, brick and mortar, and dollar per retail associate. And that's how many of these companies measured themselves. We think of a company like GameStop, right? You know, 3,000 stores, we got 15 of of, of these kids per store. Um, This is is how we're going to be able to calculate and forecast for the future. Well, what happens if you shut down all your stores? Well, now you've destroyed your KPIs. So that we know, you know, from the board level, long-term strategy, these companies that were already focused on direct-to-consumer, you know, we know that, that companies like Lululemon and Apple had already figured it out. But, you know, there was no more question of which was primary. Direct-to-consumer yep. was going primary. And if you're trying to sell a physical good, but you don't have a physical space to show people it, you are going to have to use virtual technologies and spatial technologies. Uh, so that's where virtual reality and augmented reality were, were really going to get their their push. And I think that's why we've seen so many Oculus Quest purchase. Well, um, you know, if, if you look at Facebook's strategy around changing its name to Meta, I think a lot of that is is um, 
triggered by the fact that, that COVID started. That was the forcing function. Uh, and so that was what pushed me into shape. And then really it was about harnessing the incredible network that shape already has. You talk about hundreds of the world's metaverse leaders already in place. Um, all we had to do was make sure that we were starting to tell the story of what the company was capable of and where the industry was going. And very, very quickly, we were helping guide some of the most uh, important companies on the planet into these spaces, both from spatial technologies, which I like to just call 3D, and yep. um, you know, blockchain technologies, which will you know dumb down to Web3. Yeah, and listen, there's a number of things you said, and I'd love to just again with that expertise level and the amount of time in the space. Um, you know, let's let's dive into a few questions. And we'll we'll kind of sprinkle in a little bit of of what the way you guys think of things. Um, but you know, obviously, Meta, you know, or Facebook, as they're going to be called forever. Um, it, it, they believe in there's one. You know, it, it's a it's the AOL world. You're, everyone's going to come into theirs. You live in in this walled garden uh, of Facebook, and and I'm not entirely sure. In fact, I, I'm actually more sure that it's not going to be that way. But Facebook absolutely believes that they're going to be able to create this their own ecosystem, uh, walled garden. You come in and stay there. Versus what I I'm seeing a lot, and and from you guys as well, is that there's going to be lots of metaverses. There's going to be lots of, of areas that, that are owned by different, different uh, companies and people will bounce around. And as long as there's some, some sort of connection, which is what the blockchain can provide that you can move assets from one to the other, you know, it creates a, a healthy distributed uh, and decentralized ecosystem. What do you, which, which do you agree with? Yeah, absolutely. So when we're breaking this down for clients uh, or for my parents, right. You know, the full gamut of, of, of listeners, it's, you know, it really comes down to this is the natural evolution of digital technologies and the internet, right? Yep. From a visual standpoint, from a front end standpoint, um, we have a lot of 2D experiences, images, videos, web browsers. That's going to go into three dimensions. We're already seeing it, you know, little bits, little bits, and game engines are phenomenal at being able to create those experiences. And then from the blockchain side, we've got common infrastructure for being able to connect things. You know, e-commerce is, is really wonderful. We know that we've got a lot of centralized parties and, you know, processors and gateways in the middle to allow us to, you know, interact with a group like Roblox. Um, and so there hasn't been the common infrastructure to connect these gaming experiences. Um, and there's there's a lot of money that's going in. You know, we see the growth rates in mobile, PC, and console gaming across the planet. Uh, it's, it's really dwarfing what we see happening in film and television and music, right? And so, okay, let's let's respect this industry. Um, now those technologies are, are bleeding out into the rest of uh, the way that we operate, our businesses and our personal lives, the entertainment that we consume. So when I look at what Meta's done, what, what Zuckerberg's done, we know that he's phenomenal at being able to see the future of digital and, and trying to control uh, people uh, within within these networks. I mean, that's it's just part of a publicly traded business. His job is to make of sure course. He's, he's essential infrastructure for everybody connected to, together. Um, but I, I, I don't, I, I try not to get lost in the meta versus everybody else, right? Or we've got all these individual metaverses and they're going to be walled gardens. I really think that over time, this is just a natural progression of web technologies and they're going to intersect and we're going to face the same problems that we have now. Some of them are going to be open and they're great, but they're going to be missing, you know, certain levels of refinement. And there's going to be other things where there's going to be some sort of market mechanism that supports a walled garden. Um, you know, are we going to see, you know, Apple embrace the, the open web, 
right? Uh, Web3 and crypto technologies. Not, not for a while, right? We know how laser-focused they are on the world's best user experiences on all devices. And they're slow. They're slow on releasing features and devices because they need to protect that user experience. So I I just, I try to zoom out a little bit. I think it all kind of gets connected in the future in a way that it feels seamless. Some of it's going to be walled garden, just like the rest of our human experiences, where there's incentives for a group to keep out and there's going to be people that try to disrupt that by creating you know open ecosystems um and so i i I think it's 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 going to look similar to this we're just going to be a little bit more ingrained in in these 3d experiences in the future yeah no i I 100% agree with everything you said um going a little further on that and and you brought it up up apple which you know is kind of the they're they're the big grill and while they aren't even in the uh, AR VR space really I mean beyond obviously lots of gaming and you can do lots of you know augmented reality things with the phone um, but they haven't come out with a headset and we know that's coming uh, we know it's going to integrate at this point the M1 chip which is the same chip that's in uh, all the MacBook Airs and a number of others and so you know do do we think that they're going to pull kind of an Adobe Flash again um, that they're going to come out with some you know kind of really minor changes that's going to essentially cause this entire uh, asset class of, of AR VR to be like thrown on its toes where you've got people that have been developing for years for, for Decentraland sandbox, you know, unreal engine, unity engine. There's kind of the back and forth. Uh, every single one of these calls, I got somebody that's going Unreal's the future. And then I got the other halves going, you, you know, Unity's the future. Um, you know, do you, do we feel that there's going to be some standards that, that Apple generally it's, it's them that sets it. That's going to allow this to really gain adoption as, as people can go forward. Yeah, well, I think that they're going to be integral to augmented reality becoming commonplace. You know, we already have 3 billion AR devices on the planet. You know, most smartphones with a camera have the ability to do some sort of pass-through technology that we consider mobile AR today. Um, you know, that's coming off of iPhones and it's coming off of Android devices. I think Apple is going to nail it. I think that they are going to figure out the user experience that onboards, you know, the tens of millions, the hundred million users that is going to create new commerce opportunities. And as a result is going to drag brands in. Um, so I, I really believe heavily in their ability to do so. And part of that confidence in their ability to execute there is us working with the technology on a daily basis. You know, Shape's been, been trying to figure this stuff out for the last five years and has had the good fortune of building you know, award-winning experiences for Red Bull and for Olympics and, you know, um, great stuff for Coca-Cola. So we get the chance to see how important these technologies are for the future of brands and their ability to tell their story. So Apple is now just, I think, going to amplify that, right? We're just, we're going to make what is pretty clunky looking at some AR hologram on your phone. Uh, I think really quite magical and commonplace uh, in, in, you know, glasses. I think... What what they will do though is is they will keep things slow. So um, we'll be able to get really excited about all the things that we can do in augmented reality with you know headset based AR. But they're not going to allow us to move quickly. You know, you can remember when the iPhone came out and then Google responded with Android. Android was innovating much faster from a feature set standpoint. Um, Hey, the ability to, you know, turn all your interface black, you know, it took Apple, you know, probably a decade to allow us to do that. (laughs) They could have done that in the first week. It's just what they they decided. Copy and paste took, took four years. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so when, when I look at Apple, what I am seeing now, and there's there's industry consortiums, especially focused in in retail, you know, where there's a lot of yeah. digital twin activity going on. There are there are standards coming together. You know, there's a group called Kronos, K R O N O S, that is very focused on, you know. How are we standardizing the file format? How are we standardizing file uh, file sizes? How do we ensure that it's really easy for us to build the infrastructure technologies to be able to host a digital twin in the cloud and then be able to deliver it to any device that wants to look at it in real time, which is a really, really tricky thing to be able to do. Um, and I, I think that, that Apple's just going to put a bunch of fire you know, behind these groups and they're just going to get a lot more money and a lot more support and there's going to be a lot more brands that really just have to respond the way that they are responding right now to the world of NFTs and Web3. You know, there's there's just so much money that's being poured into something like a Balenciaga release in Fortnite that all other brands that are focused on growing in the future are, are having to figure out some sort of Web3 and NFT strategy. Yeah, and, and I will absolutely say, you know, Web Web One was was revolutionary. I mean, it was the first time people were spending, you know, uh, you know, four to five hours in front of a, a, a computer screen, not typing or, or or really creating anything, but just absorbing content. It was, you know, really a, a obviously revolutionary. It took over a decade uh, for mainstream adoption to hit on Web One, and then Web Two. Um, again, I'm using uh, somebody else's references here. It was was the first time people spent four to five hours a day um, consuming. Um, you know, content on a mobile phone, not talking on it, but just consuming data on a mobile phone. Uh, and I, and, and all this comes from HTC. Um, and they believe Web3 is going to be defined by people spending four to five hours in a virtual reality or augmented reality environment. Um, and I, I absolutely, you know, it, it took a minute last year when I first heard that. But the more I'm seeing and kind of the evolution uh, of, of where everything's kind of going this direction. It, I think if they're absolutely correct, it's just we're waiting on the device that makes you want to spend four to five plus hours in that VR, AR environment because I don't, you know, the Oculus, the battery runs out after 90 minutes no matter what you want to do anyway and it's too heavy and it's too hot uh, to do so. So we're still waiting on some technology to make this happen. Same as we, same as Web 2 was never going to hit until the iPhone gained some adoption. Absolutely. Um, I, I think you know, if you if you look at at the way that Apple talks about this, it's it's not going to be the device that you live in ten hours a day yet. You know, at launch, it's going to be something where you're you're doing something very very you know purpose driven, uh, whether it's a snack size um, entertainment moment or it's something that's focused on work, where you know maybe you're architecting a building and you want to see what that digital twin looks like, you know, in the space in front of you. Um, but we're 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 not going to be living in them, you know, at launch. Uh, it's going to yeah. take time for the, you know, the hardware to miniaturize. You know, maybe we only get to that point of living eight to 10 hours a day in virtual environments when we get to, um, contact lenses, right? You know, after, after the AR glasses comes the contact lenses. There's already experiments going on and we've seen how we've been able to connect everything. I mean, I'm, uh, I've been using an iPhone based, um, unlock function for the front door. Right today, yep. you know, so we're, we're getting to this place. Everything is shrinking. We're going to shrink our ability to see 3D visuals to a contact lens at some point in the future. It really comes down to data and bandwidth, and how are we able to get information to the chip there to display it so that I'm able to absorb it. So I, I think you know we're, we're seeing the technology mature. We're seeing, you know, where I'm really excited about is that there's enough organizational infrastructure at a Fortune 500 level to be able to justify 
investments from the hardware companies, from the social media platforms. Uh, and it's starting to suck in things like governments. You know, if you look at Dubai, it says, hey, we're going to be, you know, one of the leading metaverse um, centers on the planet and we're creating 40,000 metaverse jobs. We've interacted with a lot of groups connected into that uh, government-led strategy. And we start to realize that I was like, why, why is the UAE and Dubai calling us and trying to figure out if we can help them build out the future of metaverse there? Well, I think what they learned in COVID was metaverse technologies are a great hedge against things like pandemics. You know, we yep. saw huge shocks to oil demand and use. We saw huge shocks to tourism. If we think about Dubai and we think about the UAE, a lot of what's coming out of there is, is oil and tourism. And so they yep. were really beat up by this. But what was happening at that point was there was a ton of money being poured into Ethereum, into Bitcoin and into holograms. And so, you know, they're just realizing, well, let us become leaders in this technology, which is the best hedge against the things that are core to our economies. And so we're seeing it now in all these different places. It's not just something that's happening on Twitter and consumers are getting excited because they're spending, you know, their disposable income on stuff that they couldn't before because they can't go outside anymore. Now we're seeing, wait, this is the future of technology and human life. We are going to be leaders in it. Let's change the way our government is thinking about itself. Uh, we see that happening in South Korea as well, right? Where the city hall in, in Seoul, they are now creating as, as, a, as a virtual space. And what's going to happen there? You're going to see increases in citizen engagement, right? Because now instead of the people that live within a 20-minute um, you know, bus ride to City Hall, are now the whole country is going to have access. And I think the whole world will start to be able to you know, be involved and connect in ways that we've never seen before. So um, I'm seeing it at all levels, and that's why I think it's such an interesting time to have these conversations. No, I, I love this. And so, you know, again, we're, we're kind of the business group of, of, of Web3. And so, you know, a majority of our members, I'd say there's about 15% of our, of our members are, are professionals that are in the field already. And this is what we're doing. So that leaves a big majority of, of, of everyone else trying to say, like, I understand something's coming. I want to make sure that I, I can, I can take advantage of this for myself as well as for my company. And so that's a lot of the times that we, we spend exploring and kind of bench testing with, with professionals like yourselves to say, are we thinking about this the right way? And, you know, I'd say right now, the biggest thought that I, I have, and, and, and to be clear, I always know when, when topics are really hot because, uh, this is the third metaverse um, podcast I've done in the last two weeks. And for a while, it was nothing but NFTs. And before that, it was nothing but DeFi projects. And so clearly, we're going to see, you know, I, I think, you know, really later this year, as well as 23, be the year of the metaverses um, as they start launching and having real use case. Because right now, they're just hollow shells for the most part. You can go in, you can look around, but there's nothing nothing to do. Um, you can look, you can see, but, but the wallets haven't been tied in. And I know you guys are working hard on that, but the way I'm, what I'm seeing right now from my perspective is, you know, each, each company has a, a website. They've got their, their website that, that loads on a normal computer screen browser for a desktop or a laptop. And that same website also has a web two, um, you know, a mobile version that, that's baked in. And, and what I think what we're going to be seeing is, is very simply is that there will be that web three version, whether it's an augmented reality or virtual reality uh, version. And there's different use cases for each. You know, if you're on your phone, you, you don't want the desktop version because it's useless. But there's times that there's a form or, or something you need to interact with that it's just, you need that screen size, you need that depth. And so you're going to go open up that exact same domain, that exact same website. Um, and it's going to render differently on a large, you know, I've got a white screen here, it's going to render differently, I'll be able to do different things. And I think that exactly as you're saying, you know, you want to go deal with a government form, sometimes navigating those menus 
venues is near impossible for, especially for government agencies. And I just need to renew my driver's license. I, I can't deal with the, the 55 different drop down menus. I don't know what department this is, but visually to go stand in a place and interact with somebody as if you would uh, normally, I mean, that makes perfect sense uh, to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I look at, at the metaverse concept today, you know, I, I really just try to hammer home all the time that it's it's really loose and that it, it's not necessarily that, you know, we're all just going to crawl into a, a video game together or different video games and then be a different species because we live in different video games, that it really just is the natural progression of, of the internet. And as a result, it's the natural progression of all of the things that we do today in, in the world of connecting digitally. Um, so governments are going to be impacted and... Um, where I think it, it, you know, it becomes quite interesting is, is how we are operating our businesses, right? How we're operating our classrooms, how we're operating uh, our family reunions. Um, you know, if, if we're able to, instead of taking photos and asynchronously putting them in a timeline and having that be a way for us to interact, moving into Web3, which is going to be far more participatory, right? And when we hear Tim Sweeney over at, at Epic and Fortnite talking about this, you know, it's we're moving from algorithm, ad distribution, social networks asynchronously into something that is participatory. Um, and what I find fascinating about Metaverse is that everybody has really heard about it and has an opinion on it. And I, I think that that's really, you know, what's blockchain? You know, it's just like a really slow database. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, one, no one's talking about Oracle databases. No one's talking about MongoDBs, but we've gotten to blockchain. And I think because there's money infused, right? You know, we're not really interested yeah. in, in, in this until, until there's money. Okay, there's money. And then when I think about, um, you know, what's, what's happening with these 3D environments and these metaverse environments, everyone's got an opinion. A lot of that is a violent pushback against it because there's a fear, right? It's like, well... Yeah. Instagram's already got me trapped six hours a day into this this ad timeline. You know, if, if you 10x that into metaverse, how am I going to be able to go to the bathroom, right? <laughs> and I think that that fear makes a lot of sense. But what I try to tell people is, well, these technologies are actually more human, right? The ability to own our own data from a Web3 standpoint or the ability to be able to see things in three dimensions, given that we're three-dimensional animals, right? Um, our brains are built for calculating three dimensions, which is why when you look at the data for augmented reality advertising, there's a 70% increase in recall, right? And it's because of the spatial processing in the brain is actually looking at three-dimensional hologram and you're recording more information into your memory. And so the same things are happening in our three-dimensional experiences. We have a higher level of presence. And so that government form is really, really boring and maybe you're not paying attention. But if we're able to see each one of those pieces in something that feels a little bit more human, like we're at the DMV office, um, we're going to pay greater attention. It's going to be easier, easier for us to navigate. Because no matter what, when we're born, we're physical beings. No matter what space or country, we still need to figure out how to navigate. There's a floor beneath us. We're getting sucked down by gravity you know we've got doors and buildings and chairs we figure out the you know how to navigate in three dimensions before we figure out how to navigate government forms in a very slow web experience so i think you know metaverse is going to humanize technology in a way that is is going to be um you know well received by most of the world i I love that and 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 the attempt to take this podcast away from from the Department of Revenue forms and and some really boring parts of the technology. Let's let's circle back over to retail, and because you've been involved in this uh, already from a number of projects, 
and so, you know, in, in Ready Player One, I, I end up referencing, you know, two main movies quite often. One is Ready Player One and the other one is Free Guy. Um, you know, in Ready Player One, the main character goes into a, a virtual shop and he's buying a mixture of both digital and physical goods. And the physical goods that he bought just showed up at his house a, a few doors later or a few days later or whatever it was. Um, do we see, do you, are you seeing retailers kind of start to play around with this concept of, yes, we can have a flat two-dimensional website, but the idea that someone can walk in, look around at, at the three-dimensional replicate of, of that product, um, and then digitally check out right there. No no going back over to our website, but in virtual uh, checkout and have that physical project uh, product delivered to their home. Yeah, I this is, I think... You know, all leading retail brands are going down here at the moment. Um, what I've been very interested to see is that the, the the biggest whales out there of the retail brands, the Amazons, the um, you know the WalMarts, they are the ones who are leading right now. Um, if we look at furniture, furniture has a great use case uh, with digital twins um, because they are easy to create those three D models. And the biggest problems with furniture e commerce is sizing. Right, and you you buy the sectional, and then it doesn't fit, and it causes huge problems for you because nobody wants that experience. It's like it's traumatizing to people. Same thing for IKEA, right, or restoration hardware. Do you know it is really difficult to take a sectional back? You know, where, where's the where's the three PL warehouse where all the ghost sectionals are sitting? And you're like, well, we can't sell this new again. You know, someone tried to drag it up the stairs. So for them, there is a, a really like a huge operational opportunity in digital twins, because it means that, you know, even if you take your wrong size returns down by 50% for one of these brands, you are paying for the technology hand over fist. So, you know, when we think about digital twins, metaverse retail, uh, Ikea is a great company to look at. They're doing all of their products as digital twins. And what they've realized and this is what we were, you know, building at Shape was a 3D commerce center of excellence. And you'll see companies like Adobe, you know, building out infrastructure to allow this. But what uh, is required at each different section of a, you know, uh, a retailer, you know, let's look at the furniture company today, is something that would benefit from 3D. So we know that they're designing products in 3D. Now just make it easy to export that in something that you're able to see in augmented reality. Uh, there is a concept, and especially when e-commerce popped up and all these retail brands were trying to block Wi-Fi in the store because they were worried about people going into the store, going to the Best Buy, and then checking out something on Amazon. And actually what we started to realize is that they work together. Brick and mortar and online e-commerce, they work together uh, yep. in, in a process called Ropo, right? So it's research online, purchase offline. Well, if you yep. don't have stores or you have supply chain issues – it's, it's essential that we're going to have to try to bridge that gap. And it's easier for e-commerce to figure out communicating in the third dimension than it is for our stores to be able to scale into our living rooms. So, you know, brick and mortar is always going to be limited based on that. And e-commerce is going to be able to year over year just get that much better at being able to allow you to see that couch, that sectional in your living room in whatever color you want and when you're able to do it at that speed, now what you're doing is you're removing the friction of going to the furniture store, right? So, you know, we're seeing huge shocks to gas prices. Well, that's impacting the furniture retailers, both from a delivery and a supply chain standpoint, as well as foot traffic in the store. But if people are sitting at home and they're able to see these couches 
and they're able to make sure that the sizes are correct, you're going to see, uh, you know, huge gains for those brands that are leading in the space. And that is why you've got Ikea and Amazon and Walmart investing so heavily in their 3D engines because they know the moment that they master that technology and they deliver it to all of their consumers where they are on their phones in their living rooms, they are going to mop the floor with the competition because it's going to take everyone else, second, third movers, five years to figure it out. And it's not, it, 3D is hard. And I'll just be really honest. This is something I know at Shape is that 3D is really hard and you better get started now if you are working in the world of physical goods. James, I, I just want to point out, I don't think you, you did much research on me before this, but my family business and where I kind of really grew up was we had a, a, a large uh, group of furniture stores. Um, so I grew up, you know, in furniture stores, in furniture retail, completely understanding at age 30, I took over CEO uh, of these retail stores. We had 18 stores across two states um, and absolutely saw this coming. Absolutely, you know, from from the early days of like a flat website was like, eh, there's just not much there. We're going to keep going. We can we can replicate that same that same experience. Um, but I can tell you, with you know, 25 plus years uh, of of retail, you know, literally working in these showrooms and everything else, people will walk through a, a, a 90,000 square foot furniture showroom and never once sit on or touch a piece of furniture and make their purchase based on the way it looks and the, and then measure it out and see does it fit. So that concept is really what scared me when I saw what Wayfair was doing and you know what Amazon was trying to do with the AR. Um, that was the 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 early you know predicate that that said you know I need to sell this business. You know there's just absolutely no way I'm going to compete with these guys because as soon as they um, you know pull pull that rug out from that physical experience where people need to walk in and look at this. Uh, feel it, touch it, and, and experience it. Um, the, the the colors on the screen are easier to replicate. If you know if they're on an iPhone, you can replicate what color this is. And so you're absolutely correct. It's it's not something that's just designed for gamification or you know I want to play a game with my friends or I want to goof off and, and watch a virtual concert. Uh, the real world implications of something similar to furniture, similar to cars, similar to a, a number of, of physical goods, including clothing, which is coming very soon, um, is absolutely going to dynamically turn the supply chain upside down. Uh, being more efficient um, and and again limiting those returns because I think I just saw a, a note that Amazon you know they don't even return things they just they just grind it up and, and throw it away because it's not even worth the cost of putting back into that supply chain so even a 10 to 20 percent reduction you know you said 50 even a 10 to 10 percent reduction is a huge amount uh, of dollars for these guys yeah absolutely well you know we saw Nike who's one of the leaders in digital um, yep for 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 decades when they built Nike ID it was that ability to customize uh, one of the Nike shoes right and you were picking the color mm-hmm. of the swoosh and the and the laces colors and you know that was a lost leader they weren't making tons of money on, on those custom shoes given the way that their business operates but the real value in Nike ID was the data. Right. And I could tie to see it. Oh, hey, there's there's this regional impact. Everybody in the southwestern United States loves, you know, brighter colored green swooshes. And so it becomes much easier to, you know, do product planning for your next seasons. I think that you're going to see that come into the world of 3D commerce as well. Right. Um, it's be really easy for you to pick different colors of that sectional. Now it's much easier for a company like IKEA to get the you know the data back and say, oh wait, everybody just loves navy blue, right? We don't know if it's seasonal, we don't know if it's regional, but now we're starting to use that data to go back into product development, and customers are going to be happier with it. 
And I think what we will start to see is this emergence. We're already seeing it now where, you know, you've got, let's say, I mentioned it before, but Balenciaga doing a release of, of skins in Fortnite. But it's, it's retail is turning into, um, you know, this, this really fun fashion experience or this fun buying experience at home where, you know, if, if you and your wife are wearing, uh, air glasses and you're able to see like, Hey, what does our living room look like? If we totally did the walls, let's do it all black. You know, we're going to do black. We're going to do red leather couch. And that's fun. And that's something you can do over a glass of wine. And it's going to be a way for you to interact and connect in this really beautiful collaboration. Very different than walking around a large furniture warehouse where they don't have any of those colors and trying to picture it and trying to, you know, throw those words over this wrong colored couch. It's, it's not Happened every fun, day. It's not a fun experience. So, you know, we see this is going to happen with furniture and the way that we decorate our houses. It's going to happen with clothes. You know, you think about how many, how many little girls out there, the way that they connect with their friends is what it used to be going to the mall. 20 years ago, it was going to the mall. You know, yep. today it's, these are my friends in Animal Crossing and Fortnite, Roblox. Well, yep. they're going to start to wear virtual clothes. They're going to have virtual runways in their living rooms. And this is going to change the way that clothes are bought. Because if you haven't seen it online first, I don't think you're going to buy it you know, in the physical store at a, you know, at a certain point in time, the same way, if we look at, we look at, you know, Gen Z, right. Or Gen Alpha that's coming up behind them. They connect with everybody online first. They meet everybody online first before they meet them in person. And even the kids at school, right. You know, they're just, they're just connected into these are our social yep. networks. We can see all these people are. And so I think we're going to meet all of our products online first. That's that research online component. When you turn that into a really fun hologram experience, you're going you're gonna to change uh, how many dollars are being spent. And I think we're going to be able to optimize uh, you know, the way that we run those retail businesses at a time where we're starting to see huge supply chain shocks, right? As a response to this um, world of globalization, you know, I think we did pretty good, but, you know, throw COVID into the mix and throw some, some, you know, uh, funky geopolitics like a Russia war. And very quickly we can start to see, wait, we, we just can't run these retail businesses anymore at a 12% margin. Right. So we're going to have to do it better and we're going to have to do it different. And I think that it's going to push these technologies further and further because the incentives are just there for retail brands to figure it out. Yeah. And, and whether it's, it's, it's supply chain and, uh, you know, as a quick bit of history back in the, uh, <clears throat> in the nineties, um, really prior to, to web one even going it, the average consumer would go to seven and a half furniture stores prior to making their selection. In this day and age, could you imagine going to seven stores before you most likely make your decision on what you want to buy? And, you know, when, when I left uh, that, that industry about, about seven years ago, um, you know, it, it was down to three and a half. So the idea that was they were still traveling, but now I, from what I understand, it's about one and a half. So meaning if they don't buy at the first store, they're going to be buying at the second store. And so that augmented reality in, in you know, in, in, you know, virtual reality that you're talking about is going to be incredibly important, whether your furniture, whether your cars, whether your clothing, because you need to convince somebody that if they're going to drive somewhere, if they're going to leave the safety of their home, if they're going to venture out for some reason, it's just to close the deal at that point. You know, it's, and, and if they're not going to purchase it online because there is something they need to do, they do need to see it or feel it or touch it for some reason. Um, you know, it, it, you, you have to win before they ever even think about getting in that car to go somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, e-commerce has been phenomenal for discovery. Social media has been great for discovery. Um, I think 
when you de- when you're able to develop a relationship with a product in augmented reality at home, you know that's where you're going to start to see uh, you know yeah. these conversion rates starts to change because you're like I've been hanging we've been hanging out with this couch in the living room for a week, <laughs> you know. Oh, products evolve, right? We, the way that we perceive things, especially bold designs, when you first see them, it might be shocking. But after a week, you're like, you know what? I really, really love the way that this space chair looks in the living room. Yep. Right. And, and we don't really have that opportunity, um, you know, with brick and mortar stores, but I think augmented reality 3D commerce is going to allow that. So, uh, I think it's a really interesting time for, for these brands and, uh, anybody that wants to build a, a, you know, a retail brand, whether that's, you know, fashion based or furniture or even things like cars. I think that if you nail 3D and the distribution of 3D experiences at your core, you are set up for long-term success. And if you can't get there, you're in trouble. You know, I, I think the other thing, and this is one of your projects, I was watching uh, and, and really researching what you guys did with Red Bull, with the mountain biking uh, coming down these mountains. And you were using AR uh, to allow someone to project what this mountain was, um, you know, on their kitchen table or anywhere in their house. And, and suddenly, I think that's a very big dynamic difference because no matter how they frame it on TV, no matter what they do or, or, you know, 4K, 8K, I don't care, you're missing scale. You can't see scale of one to the next because of just the way the cameras, you know, they're going to move for optimal resolution. They're going to move for, you know, prime focus. Um, and so you don't see it. And so, you know, playing around with your, with the app for, uh, Red Bull, which you guys did, where you were able to say, this is the mountain. And so while you're only seeing these a few camera angles because the cameras, you know, they, they can't move, they're not running up and down the mountain, but you're being able to watch how these guys come down and understand just how big of some of these vertical drops are, um, I think is a dynamic difference for sporting events as well, that even if you're going to go physically to, to some of these events, you, you can't see the other side of the track. You can't see the, the these full courses. And so I think what you've done with modeling that out and bringing that into, you know, you're going to watch on your your TV, 4K, 8K, whatever the case is, but also be able to look on your, your, your uh, living room table and say, well, there they are coming down this mountain here. It's just an entire new dynamic to bring into that living room experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And that scale is something that's built into us. Right. And I, you know, we were talking about being 3d, you know, these 3d animals, you know, we're all somewhere between, you know, five and six feet, right. Five and seven feet. You know, this is like the average humans, the scale of chairs and doors and cars is all built for that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when you're able to put somebody looking at, at a mountain at scale in the living room and you're able to see the declines, it it really changes your experience of of watching it. So it's going to change entertainment. Um, You know, if we think about the future of film, you know, Jaws, pretty interesting, you know, many decades ago. Um, what happens if, if you're in the boat and the shark is coming at you in virtual reality, it's going to change. It's going to change, you know, the way that your central nervous system and your visual processing is connecting, you know, with your amygdala and the fear center of the brain. And you're going to, you know, you're moving, you're freaking out because that bike's coming at you at a certain speed, which if it was happening in front of you, you know, you would move. And so these virtual technologies are going to allow us to, to be far more engaged in the digital experiences. And so, you know, if you're able to take the power of something like that and merge it with a retail brand and, and physical products, you know, you're going to make people feel much more deeply about them. And I think that, you know, whether you're trying to tell the story about your brand or you're trying to get someone to experience a new type of product, this is going to be, you know, it's going to become, you know, the, the standard for what we expect. And those who master it, those who nail those experiences first are going to be rewarded handsomely because that's where the dollars are going to flow. 
So James, I, again, lots of experience prior to to uh, shapes. You know, you've you've been around blockchain for a long time. You understand it. You love it. You've you've lived your life uh, by it. Um, now, again, you guys have some of the most experience uh, that I would say in the kind of the VR AR space, especially for commercialization. What what are you guys working on now? What's anything new coming down the pipeline? Yeah, so at the intersection of 3D and Web3, you know, is is where Metaverse is sitting today. And we've got a lot of leading retailers that have that have asked for support. So one of the things I'm really excited about is being able to help GameStop. So we get to be their Metaverse partner. And what a lot of that looks like is, you know, if, if, if games and gaming technology is what the Metaverse is like in the future, then a company like GameStop, which is the Switzerland of the game industry, right? You know, it is, it is agnostic. It's friends with all the publishers and all the titles and it, it is a place of, of discovery. If they can figure out how to be leaders in the digital distribution of gaming experiences, you know that's the future of that brand. We also know how frenzied their community is now from you know from the stonk movement and from web3 so we're really excited to see all the great things that are coming out of gamestop including the launch of their wallet the gamestop crypto wallet as well as the gamestop nft marketplace which did i think 3 million to 4 million in nft sales in the first week so it's already eclipsed what we've seen happen in you know coinbase's nft marketplace and it's a very very interesting time for for groups like gamestop so we're fortunate to be um you know metaverse partners for leading brands like that so I'm really excited to see what's happening there we have some other brands that reach out to shape um you know let's think of a brand like sephora right sephora you know, how's that going to interact with the future of Metaverse? Well, they're similar to GameStop. They're at the middle of, you know, uh, beauty and wellness, right? So all of those companies now need to figure out, well, how do we, you know, how do we integrate with Metaverse? Does it make sense for L'Oreal? Does it make sense for Estee Lauder to build an experience in Sandbox? No, yep. <laughs> right? It doesn't make sense to do it in Roblox as well. You know, even if we if we stop looking at the at the you know the Web three you know metaverse platforms and we look at something like Walled Garden like Roblox, it's not a great place for us to interact with the future of beauty. Yeah. So how do these brands how do these brands you know interact with that? A lot of the work that we're doing at Shape now is figuring out what is the techni- the technology roadmap you know, for metaverse as an industry and where are the opportunities for these leading brands to intersect with it. Um, but it brings up something that I'm extremely passionate about and I'm building an, a new venture as well called Safer. Uh, and this is uh, really focusing on the crypto wallet, right? When we look at metaverse experiences today, we look at big brands trying to get involved. They've got some needs and the needs are, can we provide a great user experience? Can we protect our consumers? And when we look at crypto wallets today, that is not the case whatsoever, right? So we think about kids, you know, do you want to put your kids uh, into a uh, MetaMask, right? Is, is that yep. how you want to give them their allowance? Is that how you want to allow them to intersect with the gaming experiences that they're playing four hours a day while you're at work? Not a chance, right? And so I think that crypto is incredibly powerful for turning us all into banks. You know, Jay, if you want to send me $100 million right now in Ethereum, we can do it, right? There's, if we've figured out as a as a planet how to build yep. decentralized technology to do that, that's phenomenal. But what we haven't done is figured out the human layer yet for the crypto wallet. And Agreed. when I say the human layer, there's a couple pieces. One is the front end, right? Yep. I don't need something that looks like a bank ledger if I'm trying to buy like a virtual set of wings, 
right? Yep. Where's the 3D element? Where's the augmented reality element? And so that right now we're not able to see, um, you know, three-dimensional NFTs nicely in some sort of wallet experience. So there's that front end. The second part is is the AI side. And when we look at what's happening at a bank and the reason we pay bank fees is because they spend a tremendous amount of money on artificial intelligence, on security, transaction limits, on paper-based processes to protect us as consumers. And, you know, this is what is limiting crypto uh, reaching, reaching mass public, right? Being able to actually become a, you know, commonplace way of conducting commerce. It's because we haven't figured out the human layer yet, right? We figured out the dev layer. And maybe when we look at Y whales and we look at this great subset of, of YPO, um, individuals, there is, you know, there's enough brain power there to figure out like, well, you know, what's a database and what's the technology, but yep. that isn't what's going to get us where we need to go next, right? Where crypto starts to be adopted, uh, by all sectors of our, our society. So, I, I really, what we've noticed in the world, this is what we've noticed at Shape, is that metaverse experiences right now are not ready for prime time, right? And if we can't figure out the wallet experience, if you can't figure out how to protect people with the wallet experience interacting with Web3 experiences, you are not going to be able to bring leading brands at scale into the metaverse. We're just not going to be able to do it. Agreed. You may be able to do the 3D side, right? Hey, I want to see a virtual couch in my living room, but we're not going to be interacting with the blockchain in that space until we figure out how to protect consumers and improve the user experience. So I'm extremely passionate on how we can do that because, you know, sometimes we're looking at metaverses, we want to design and build them, but we don't feel great about the user experience we're going to provide because it is connected to MetaMask. Right, you know, and, and everything that's going on at MetaMask is fantastic. You know, great stuff going no, on. No, it's no, it's not. It's it's a terrible experience. I talk to two, three people a week that have got their MetaMask hacked. That they they've lost this. They, it's it is this is clearly not the experience of the future. So, number one, you I, everything you said, I completely agree. Like to me, there's there's two main issues that we got to solve right now for blockchain. First is these bridges. Like it, if we can't be chain agnostic, like easily the same as way we are, we can send like nobody knows what email server they use. They, whether If you're on Gmail and you want to send to an Office 365 email or some, like nobody cares. You just type in the address, it needs to go, and it needs to be guaranteed that it gets delivered. That's it. That, that's what works. That what, that's what's mainstream is. Two, um, you know, two is these wallets. The, like you, you can't have it be something where I know some very competent, very tech forward people that just in that they have a brain fart. They're a little tired. They do something they've done 20 times and Oh crap. Now I just gave away, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars because I just wasn't paying attention perfectly that time or I get mixed up. And I, I completely agree with you. If we can't bring, you know, the, the idea of commerce into these experience experiences, um, you know, the brands are never going to show up. They're never going to, they're going to say, yeah, it's great. It's just another catalog. We've been sending out catalogs for decades and decades. And you know, the, the response rate is this, um, if we can't show that it's the next version of e-commerce, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not gain, we're not going to be mainstream. We're not, you know, we're not going to do it at, at the financial institution level, right? We're not going to see adoption from our banks. You know, we want to see our banks modernize. You're not going to see it until they can figure out, you know, some sort of wallet experience that's going to protect their consumers. They have, you know, there's a lot of policy at, at the institutional level, whether it's financial or it's government, 
you know, there's just standards for how we deliver digital products and experiences to our citizens and to our customers. And crypto doesn't meet those. It just, you know, it just, it's, 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 it's so obviously working, right? We've, we've figured out as an industry how to move a lot of value across the internet in a variety of ways, whether they be automated, whether they be leveraged. We figured that out. Now we have to figure out that human layer. And until we do that, we're not going to bring on the institutions. So, you know, they might put Bitcoin on the balance sheet, but that's not getting institutional, you know, into, into crypto and blockchain, right? Just because you've, yep. you've, you've got a few percent, you know, living in cryptocurrencies. It, this is the, you know, that, that is not what we need for blockchain to go mainstream. And so, um, I'm very, very focused now on how do we protect consumers in the metaverse? And I know that we can't achieve that until we get, you know, the wallow layer to say it. Yeah. And, and on that note, um, just as a quick point, I, I spoke to one of the largest investment bankers, uh, in the world, uh, just yesterday. And, you know, he asked what I did. And I, I said, you know, this, I, I run a web three community, da, da, da. And, um, you know, his response was, he goes, I I don't care one bit about crypto, whatever. It's, it's not there yet. He goes, but blockchain, blockchain is very cool and very interested in blockchain. And I think that's really a sentiment that, that needs to change. Um, when you have the largest investment bank in the world, you know, over $800 billion of assets, uh, and they're not excited about the idea of cryptocurrencies. Um, they like, they like the, the back end, the open ledger. That's great. Um, it showcases how much work this asset class has to do to, to reestablish trust. Um, you know, when we're pumping meme, meme coins instead of, you know, real, real assets and real long term, uh, you know, stable coins, you know, we do the damage to ourselves. And so I, there's a lot of maturing that we have to do. Um, but I, I think that you're entirely right. And I'm really excited to hear more about this project as you guys go forward with it. Um, because having that wallet experience and, and the thought that you're at least semi safe, that it's not going to be like, you know, that you can have a, a 30 second brain fart and erase, you know, your entire lifetime savings, uh, which is unrecoverable, by the way, as everyone knows. I mean, I think that that's really an interesting concept. And I'm excited to see where you guys go with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know I know it's essential for for crypto and blockchain, and I know it's essential for metaverse, and so it's just so easy for us to do it. Frankly, uh, I get excited sometimes when I hear um, you know these these leaders of these financial institutions or whether governments um, who are poo pooing the technology because it just means we've got more time, right? The builders have more time. Uh, I have really, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of people that that listen to your podcast that have you know been impacted heavily, you know, by, um, by this bear market or this winter, you know, whatever nomenclature I want to use. Uh, frankly, we needed to shake a lot of this noise out and it's just giving us more time, you know, to build the things that we know are essential. When I look at what's happened, I'm like, wow, DeFi is working. You know, we didn't, we didn't see ETH lose $3,000 a coin because the technology is not working. Because it's getting hacked, because the blockchain doesn't work, it's working. And I think the amount of money that ran, you know, the trillion dollars that evaporated, that ran out of the crypto, you know, currency industry, um, God, that moved fast. Like, 
you know, for me, that's proof. You know, I think this is pretty incredible how quickly the water moves out. You know, let's get ready for the next wave. I'm going to ride that wave. So I'm looking at things today and I think that, thank, thank God, because there was a lot of noise before, right? DGENs were taking over in the bull markets. It gets super noisy because there's a tremendous amount of speculation. And there's a tremendous number of people that are making money that aren't building. They don't really understand how do we build leading consumer experiences, how to protect people, right? Yep. They are really just, you know, trying to ride the, trying to ride, you know, the speculation. And I, I like that we push a lot of that speculation out now, you know, we come back mm-hmm. to a healthier dynamic and it gives the builders a little bit more time to, to take over. So I'm really excited to see what you're building over at Y whales, right? Cause I know that you've actually got a better chance of, of impacting people at scale now with things quieting down, right? You had a little bit more time to focus on what actually matters, not getting caught up in the speculation vapor. Yeah, you know, when I have a hundred new members joining every week during the bull run, um, and every one of them is just going like throwing money at the screen, saying, "I need to invest. Where do I want to invest?" And you go, "I'm sorry, Ethereum's a half a trillion dollars right now. Like, what, how much? What? How much more do you think it can be? You know, you're looking at Dogecoin worth, you know, hundreds of billions as well. It's just like you're just going to have to wait and no one wanted to wait. And, you know, I, I, I remember somebody coming to me and saying, you know, I, I think I'm going to make a big bet on, on, on Bitcoin. I said, Bitcoin at 50,000 isn't really that interesting to me today. Well, it's going to go to a hundred. One day it will. But, you know, the problem is, is that it's, 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 it needs some maturity levels. And I, I really appreciate the way you, you guys look at things, which is that you're helping people understand this new asset class. You're helping people understand this new medium. Um, but you're also being very clear that we're not there yet. There's still technology that needs to be flushed out. And, and, and truly, the, the, the best use for blockchain, you know, VR, AR, has not been seen yet. There's not a chance we've seen it. It may have not even been conceptualized yet. Um, and so it's really exciting to be in, in here this early in an asset class, this excited about where the future is, um, and helping to shape this a little bit as well. So, so James, um, absolutely. If someone wants to kind of do a deep dive with you guys and, and understand the, the process of taking their company into, uh, the metaverse, what's the best way for them to, to reach, uh, Shapes Immersive? Yeah. So you can, uh, visit us online, shapeimmersive.com. Uh, we were acquired in full early May uh, by Alpha Metaverse. Um, and so you can check out alphametaverse.com as well. Uh, what we're doing there is, you know, really just figuring out ways of building metaverse experiences for a variety of brands and variety of gaming companies. So, you know, the, the handle is the same on Twitter. That's at Shape Immersive. And then for myself personally, it's it's my name. It's at James Bassnett. Um, we're going to, you know, we've been building so heads down a little bit. We're going to make sure to share some more stuff out there. Um, our, our founders at Shape are also really worth following on LinkedIn. So one of them is Dan Berger. That's Dan, D-A-N. B-U-R-G-A-R. Uh, Dan is a LinkedIn top 15 technology voice. And if you follow him on LinkedIn, you are going to be able to see the future of blockchain and, and metaverse technologies. Um, and so I, I really try to push people to, to follow him because he's incredible at making sure that we're teaching people on a daily basis. Sometimes I get locked in the back room making sure that we're building still. <laughs> that's a per- that's a perfect way. I'm going to go ahead and follow him right now. Uh, James, thank you so much for coming by and, and talking with Y Whales. We're going to have you on Fireside uh, soon for kind of a good confidential uh, in the boardroom conversation. Uh, but for everyone out there, have a fabulous rest of your day. This is James with uh, Immer- uh, Shapes Immersive. And uh, James, don't go anywhere. We'll see you guys soon. Take care. Y Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck 
passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.